Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you had a happy, healthy, and safe New Year. Welcome back to the show. We're going to kick things off in 2018, talking about ethics and data and technology. And to help me do so, I'm very excited to have on the show Jen Schiffer, who is an artist in Jersey City, and she can talk about why she chose Jersey City. Um, She's an artist in Jersey City, also works at Glitch, and started a conversation, well, probably better put continued a conversation i think on twitter uh, a few weeks ago about teaching ethics with code and so that really intrigued me and so i reached out and fortunately she was nice enough to come on the show and chat so jen happy new year welcome to the show how are you thank you for having me happy new year i'm doing That's great. great how was your holiday season how are things in new york it's cold and uh, and windy and dry. I got a new humidifier, so things are looking up so far. <laughs> Kicking 2018 off. Right. That's gone. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so I'm excited to talk about mostly about this ethics question because you started this little Twitter discussion that I, I found really interesting. But uh, then I started going into your uh, your work and your portfolio, and I found a whole other bunch of stuff I want to talk about. But um, if we can start with having you just introduce yourself for folks who, who may not be familiar with your work. We'll just go from there. Sure. Yeah. So um, I, as you mentioned, live in Jersey City. I'm originally from South Brooklyn. I've always lived in this area, and I don't see a reason why I'd leave yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've been working in tech for quite some time, but I had changed careers about six years ago from academia where I was teaching computer science and doing like curriculum planning and recruiting and student Mm. advising for computer science um, at a state university in New Jersey. I've also have been, and this ties into the ethics part, uh, a member of the Association of Computing Machinery, or ACM, Um, I was a member of IEEE for a short period of time, but I think I let that lapse because I'm not so much into electrical engineering. But, um, (laughs) you know, I come from a classically trained computer science background. I have a bachelor's and master's in computer science, and now I work in the industry. I work at Fog Creek on a product called Glitch, which we call the friendly community where you'll build the app of your dreams and we have a community and we provide you a really cute, powerful in-browser editor that auto-deploys your app. So you don't have to know how to do DevOps in order to get things mm. spun up like a like a cool bot or any sort of app that you can dream of. You don't need to have been uh, building apps for years to figure out how to get that stuff online, which is super powerful and, and also runs parallel to my like side passion project. Um, which is make8bitart.com. It's like Glitch, an in-browser editor that allows you to express yourself in a fun and nostalgic way. But with Glitch, it's expressing yourself with code. And make8bitart.com, it's expressing yourself with pixel art. And so in my, guess, career of, of being an educator, I've always wanted to tie in real-world issues and, and things like art and ethics into teaching theory of, of computer science and also web development because, and this could have just been my, you know, my background in college, I was taught by my mentors that engineering and, and, and coding is a way to uh, solve a problem and we're solving problems for society. Uh, and so the whole idea of ethics in, in computer science education, just like feels natural and right to me. But it's very clear that the industry is, uh, I guess, 
fallen into a different pattern. And so I try to talk about it as much as possible because like you said, I'm not starting the conversation. I'm continuing it. Mm-hmm. It just needs to get a little bit louder because I don't think people are listening, obviously. Right. So when you talk about teaching ethics when it comes to code and computer science, can you give me a sense of what tangibly does that mean in, in your mind uh, when it comes to teaching ethics? Well, I think that the reason why professors have told me why, like, oh, we don't teach ethics because, you know, there's too much curriculum. We can't fit it in there. Right, right, um, right, yeah. I try to say that in in nicer words that that's a cop out um, because when you're teaching uh, computer science or really theory or math or anything like that, you have to use examples. Everything is sort of a word problem. Um, A lot of them have numbers in it. And you know, more a lot of people, I'm sure that like, those numbers are everywhere and there's only more numbers coming and they're telling stories that need to be told. You know, we have all this data, like why are we using X equals one and Y equals two? Like what does one and two mean? There's probably a ton of data sets where those numbers have meanings. We can tie that into our examples and teach something in tandem with theory. And it takes work because that means that the people who are teaching have to be more multidisciplinary. They have to like read outside of their own, you know, texts and their own blogs and their own brain, um, which is a lot of work. But again, like, it's really important. And and I say I'm classically trained in computer science, but I did go to a liberal arts college. So I was sort of the minority in terms of um, background and, and major. And I did have to take those general education electives. So I was like, taking 7 a.m. reading Asian culture classes and being exposed to all this sort of stuff, which at the time, you know, when when you're waking up at 7 a.m. to to read old Asian texts, you're like, what do I need this for? But then yeah. in retrospect, I'm like, oh, I'm glad that I was exposed to these different ideas and cultures back then. It makes me a better engineer because I'm a lot more mindful of the existence of those different cultures. And and different histories and and you know I'm I'm a white woman so I have to do a lot more work in order to do that because this sort of society right now uh, has cleared a very easy path for me to not have mm-hmm. to do that um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make it right for me to take that path right so I guess there's this part of being broader being aw- trying to be aware of the people and the places around us in different cultures and and, and different different perspectives. But when someone is training to be a computer scientist or training to be a technologist or training, you know, or diving into code, how should they think about ethics when it comes to working in the code? Is there something that they should be considering or thinking deeply about as they are writing a web app or developing a data visualization? I mean, where, I guess I'm trying to figure out where do the ethics come into play practically in the work or is it more of as individuals we need to be more maybe self-aware is the right part the right phrase um or certainly sort of general you know having high ethics as individuals but i'm trying to think about how we merge that into these technology fields specifically that's a good question there there are a lot of layers to ethics and how you apply it as like an individual at home Mm. personally to yourself you know, we talk a lot about these days about self-care, like, you know, remembering that you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of someone else, like putting that oxygen mask on you before you like you save your kid. Right, like right. whenever I see that, I'm like, I don't know if in that moment I would 
put mine on first oh, and then yeah. put on the kid. You have a kid, I'm sure. Like yeah. you probably oh, put yeah. it in your kid first, yeah. but it's like goes against the grain of of what I've been raised, especially as a woman, mm-hmm. to think like, oh, take care of myself. But then when you're writing code, there's the sort of the syntax and then there's the semantics there's the meaning Mm. of what you are writing and you know you can work at a company like uber and be told you know we want you to write the code that tracks our competitors or something like that and that might not be like a big deal to you um there are people who code for like you know i'm sure lockheed martin that like write software to like put on airplanes to track and like most likely kill civilians like mm. there's all these options and and jobs out there because code is so pervasive and is such a useful and portable way to solve problems mm. as technology advances that there are these ethical quandaries that we haven't been exposed to yet nobody in college ever like said like how would you feel about the idea of virtual reality being used for torture like mm-hmm. that very rarely like comes up and so we have to think beyond like the code that we're writing and why we're writing it and think about those problems in society to mirror what we're thinking about how we're solving problems and how this could be affecting other people i mean the ACM has a code of ethics and like professional like responsibility. Uh, and the first one is contribute to society and human well-being. So like mm-hmm. if you just think to yourself whenever you're doing anything, like my ultimate mission is to contribute to society and human well-being, it's a good start. And I think that everyone, especially in tech, like individually should have like their mission. Like I always tell people my mission is to not make people think that they all have to learn how to code but make learning how to code accessible in case they do want to learn. So when I'm like creating educational materials, not doing it in a way where I'm like, everyone has to do this class. If you're not doing it, you're missing out. You're, you know, you don't deserve any more money and like blah, blah, blah. Like, and like following the lines of what capitalism is driving. But like mm-hmm. my mission is to make it accessible to people. And I remember that, try to remember that when I'm doing different projects, because if I'm doing something that is going against that, I have to catch myself and be like, this might, you know, go against that. And that happens a lot in terms of building apps with accessibility. That's probably where that gets me the most. For people who might have uh, vision difficulties or sensory difficulties, especially when it comes to using technology. Yeah. And that comes up a lot because I make a lot of tools that facilitate the creation of art. Right. Um, And people think like, oh, well, you know, if it's a visual thing, then it doesn't matter if like blind people can't use it. But it does. Like, like it will be a difficult problem, but it's one that I have to actively work on. And even though it's a side project, I just at least have a conversation with people like, yes, this is what I'm thinking. And also make 8bitart.com is open source. And so people Mm -hmm. have like contributed to making it um, more accessible as well. which I think is the true power of open source beyond just sort of like recognition that you're in that community. But I can't be an expert on accessibility and JavaScript and like all the different frameworks and like yeah. be a good person like all the time and, and an educator. Like it's a lot of stuff going on. And so by like allowing yourself to delegate that work to the community um, is another way that we all can sort of be more ethical in our planning and our projects, but also that leads us to talking to different people, which leads to learning about more experiences. It all ties in together. Right. One of the things that's interesting is this idea of, you know, working for a defense contractor, for example, or or let's just say a weapons manufacturer, where 
maybe some of these ethical questions are a little more, um, I don't know, maybe not obvious is not, is not the right word, but they're a little clearer to talk about. And yet probably few of us actually do that sort of work, but a lot of us are making web apps or making visualizations or giving presentations to people. And so for most of us, thinking about people with vision difficulties or learning difficulties um, is probably something that most of us have to deal with day to day and yet may not actually think about it. Um, one of the issues that comes up in, in the world of research that I work in is how do we think about and write about people of color, people in lower parts of the income distribution, people in other countries and other cultures that is not sort of condescending. And it's taking those different perspectives into account, um, as opposed to saying, I'm a white guy writing about, you know, poor African-Americans in Chicago. And there's ways to write about that. I think the a lot of the social science fields hasn't really thought hard about, but maybe is, is changing now. Yeah, I mean, appropriation in tech has uh, become becoming an even bigger problem as people are sort of almost kind of like tripping over themselves to try to, um, I guess, feign uh, an interest in diversity and inclusivity. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, like, I speak at conferences a lot, and I always sort of talk about the parallels of art and code. And recently, I've been talking a lot about the negative parallels. One of those is appropriation. And in art, we see a lot of, like, white artists trying to tell the stories of Black people. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would just say, like, don't tell someone else's story without, like, their consent. And consent's a hard thing to get in that case um but it's extremely important and so if like you're telling a story about like poverty in africa like you should have the resources in order to like talk to the people that are involved in that or who have already been telling those stories because mm-hmm. none of the stories that we're telling these days are like particularly new we're just telling them against to bring more awareness like we know that there's poverty in countries we know that there is slavery we just sort of actively ignore that and so making sure that we find the people who have been continuously working on those stories i think is important um because i think for like every movement and hashtag on twitter that a white female celebrity like gets the credit for there's a black woman that has been um using that and and working and bringing awareness to it for like five years prior. Yeah. And if you make that assumption, then that gets you to start doing the work, which is hard again, because when you have an idea and you're like, oh, I have the ability to tell this story, you want to like tell it and get it out there. But you have to do the work to research if that story is already being told by somebody else. Right. When you're working to help people build web apps, are these the sorts of questions that you are asking folks you're working with? Or are you thinking about them, you know, sort of quietly in your mind's eye and sort of subtly trying to get people to think about this? Or are you sort of right out there saying, okay, you're trying to build this. Can we think about this other group that may have already thought of this or may not be able to use this? Like, how are you thinking about this in your day to day? Yeah, I mean, at my current job at Glitch, um, we have a small, small team, about like seven mm-hmm. or eight of us. Um, and Fog Creek itself is a small company. With like 30 something people and we've been making products for developers for like 17 years now mm-hmm. um it's a weird company i mean we <laughs> we invented trello co-created stack overflow um 
uh, invented bog bugs, which sort of pioneered bug tracking. And we've sort of um, revamped it and, and launched manuscript.com a couple of weeks ago. So we've always been really involved in, in building tools to help developers build the best software they can but also being mindful that building the best software that you can is not just meaning that it like works like technically, but also yeah. that it's not, you know, harming others. And mm -hmm. it's, you can't do that exactly with a tool. You can't have like a tool yet that like is like, like error, this, this, you know, function's going to lead to, um, you know, someone's job being taken by poorly made self-driving cars. <laughs> but you, we can we can talk about it through like our content marketing and stuff like that. You know, my CEO Anil Dash is um, well known in the tech community and is very outspoken about social justice issues. I'm like that at another level, closer to the, the developer level of that. Yeah. And I think that people appreciate that the people that are building software and and designing software are also really interested in social issues because again, like the point of engineering and, and using code to solve problems in my perspective. And I feel like it's the right perspective is to contribute to society and human well-being. Mm -hmm. um, and so working on a product like glitch, we have to be um, proactive about making sure it remains a friendly community, but also back to my mission, making sure that everybody has access to it. Um, we do talk a lot about accessibility, which is a hard problem in code editors, yeah. um, especially in the browser. Um, we just had like a full week, like all day for three days um, planning session for 2018. And it's something that I brought up uh, a lot because I really want to make sure that we are creating a tool that anybody can use in some sort of way. And we'll learn as we get more users. We only launched um, Glitch properly like less than a year ago. I hear about different ways that people are using it and, and the, the pain points that they hit. Um, we're very mindful of, of how our users are uh, using and, and communicating with us. And so we can make those changes because it's, it's our product. Right. You know, one of the threads I hear you talking about in, in this conversation is this idea of, of community, both in Glitch and your day-to-day -day job in the education field. I know that you co-run the Brooklyn JS uh, meetup group in Brooklyn, which I think is the largest or one of the largest JS meetups in the country. So I noticed that idea of community comes up again and again. Is that, in your mind, the place where not just the technological development happens, but the ethical and moral and cultural development happens? Oh, for sure. I mean... I would need more than two hands to count the number of people that I've met like four years ago when Brooklyn JS started who I could already tell are way more socially thinking and ethical in their thoughts and work than they were when I had met them. Mm. Um, and I, I'm a, you know, I'm a social engineer myself and I'm, I'm a people watcher. Like I, you know, I like to talk a lot to strangers and I, I'm just like but I'm also kind of like an introvert as long as like someone's talking about something I'm interested in then I'm game but otherwise I'm like the wallflower but uh looking at everybody and and I see at these meetups and conferences I can tell when someone has talked to like the I could tell when a guy has had their first technical conversation with a woman before which might not you know be his fault but, you know, his job might not have any women, stuff like that. Yeah. And I and I can tell and I can sort of see a lot of the times 
I see them becoming more relaxed and realizing like this isn't a completely alien like experience. Mm-hmm. Like this actually feels right. Um, I, I think of when I went to college, I had a roommate who had very obviously never been around gay people before. And my university, Montclair State, is a very um, huge and vibrant uh, musical theater and, and, and theater program. So we had a large homosexual community, and it was a lot for her to like take in. And, and she, it was just very obvious she wasn't used to that. Mm-hmm. And I think of a lot of developers now who don't go to college, who don't get exposed to those large, completely new communities that you're stuck in for four years. And I get worried that they're sort of being siloed into their own sort of white male identity bubble, which makes it harder for the rest of us to sort of like socialize. So I think like the more that we have meetups that actively work on diversity, inclusivity, you know, have codes of conduct and and are prepared to act upon them when called and are also just remind people that like, you know, we want to have a safe space Mm -hmm. and and we want all of you to stay here, not just, you know, the the ones who bring diversity. Um, Everybody brings diversity to the table. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's a no brainer. Like if you want to be exposed to that, you have to go to a social event. But then I also know that there are a lot of people who don't feel comfortable in social settings. And so I wish that there were more tools for community online. Like a lot of people use Slack, but Slack is a terrible product for community. Mm -hmm. And I think that they also like do not want communities on it. I mean, you can't block people on Slack. So I think that's a huge signal that they're like, we're geared towards the workplace and not community. Mm -hmm. Um, for Brooklyn JS and our other meetups in our family, we call Borough JS. We use Slack, <laughs> and uh, I'm just like, yeah, like I think a couple of weeks ago I was bringing up like maybe we should like move to something else, but that would be like a huge like ordeal, I guess. Um, <laughs> right. I guess. Uh, but you know, it, I just wish that there were more spaces. I mean, because like Twitter was great but now it's not. <laughs> uh, and like Facebook is like terrible. It's like all these tools that showed great promise for communities, like allowed us to start communities. And then they just like abandoned us. Oh. Uh, and now I'm like hoping that people who are more ethically minded are going to create tools to sort of bring that beautiful feeling of, I can't leave the house, but I can make friends and, and family online. Right. But we're at sort of um, what I call a weird haircut phase when you like if you have long hair and then you cut it and you're like, oh, this looks great. And then it like grows out and you're like, oh, this is so bad. You have to wait like it to grow an inch before it like feels normal again. It's like that weird haircut phase. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to be, but yeah, Yeah. it can. And and I, I feel it. And that's why like when Lyft and Uber are like, we're going to like invent buses. I'm like, we don't need fucking buses. We have those like make us something so that we can all be friends and be good to each right, other. Right. 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 For crying out loud. Yeah. Well, if they could be good to their own employees first, that would also be nice. Um, if we could start there. Um, yeah. The bar is so low. Yeah. <laughs> we got we to raise it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to ask you one last question um, before we go um, about Brooklyn JS. So I know you're co-running it and I know you recently gave a, a talk about it with some new products or new projects, I should say. Do you want to just talk about those real quick? Sure. Yeah. We had a couple of people drop out um, for the December meetup. And so I gave a talk because 
you know, I haven't, I've been like co-emceeing it for a few years now and MCs and organizers don't typically talk in meetups, but you got to do what you got to do. You got to fill in, man. You got to like, Yeah, you know. yeah. And, and, and the holidays are so hard. <laughs> like, I get it. What's so, like, we were pretty late in like telling the final speakers when they can speak and, and, you know, they're just like, oh, like I can't do right. it, which is totally, I totally get it. Someone who speaks a lot, like, I'm just like, I did like a, podcast interview like the day before that was like last minute can you do this for 15 minutes and I was like whoa like that wrecked me for like a day Uh, (laughs) I'm like I need six months to emotionally prepare myself for a 15 minute phone call I'm building myself up I'm gonna stand in front of the mirror for a while and build myself up yeah yeah but you know so like so cool thing about working on glitch is that the product is a code editor so really like a lot of my role is devrel and um Working in DevRel for a code editor is great because you could build whatever the hell you want because it's a code editor using the product. And uh, I, you know, doing pixel art, I've always been mostly interested in hexagonal grids. There's research into like whether like a hexagonal grid would be more uh, efficient in terms of con- holding data, especially for images. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only thing holding us back from that is just displays are you know on pixel grids. But uh, I used to be obsessed with my light bright when I was a kid, yeah. and that's on a hexagonal grid. And I didn't have a TV in my room, and so I would just like stare really closely at the TV, like watching Rescue Nine One One, and then like trying to recreate like what I saw like on the light bright. Yeah. Uh, I was a freak, and uh, <laughs> still am. And uh, yeah, so it was like having a TV in my room, and I've always just been fascinated at that idea. And so the thing with hexagons and a grid is there's a lot of math. And I happen to really like math, but I I don't like to make things that I can't explain um, to somebody who doesn't understand what's going on behind the scenes. Uh So I find myself putting projects on hold because I'm like, it's done. It's ready. I just don't know how to explain the source code in like a literate way really into like literate programming um and that's something i wish i can just sort of type out what i want to do and the computer just does it that would be great <laughs> higher level than javascript or c plus plus yeah. or whatever and uh and so yeah I've, I've, i finally like finished it and i'm just sort of making these glitch apps that are based around creating like a hexagon mode of make 8-bit art mm. uh and yeah so that's what i talked about at brooklyn js um i always like to my goal for the the new year is to always have something like in my pocket ready to go. Someone's like, Hey, can you give like a talk for 10 minutes? I'll have something new and fresh to go, which is an ambitious, um, which is an ambitious thing. But I feel like if you start with one topic that you're really into, and it could be something as what seems mundane as a hexagon, there's so much about it. Um, the hexagon and and you know I'm also really interested in platonic solids. I have two dodecahedrons tattooed onto my body, so that's like for life. Uh, so if you find that sort of like thing that you're super interested in, it's like the the sky's the limit with what you can sort of talk about. Now being coherent <laughs> in what I talk thing, about. Yeah. Maybe that's 2019. So, I'm just going to put that out there to everyone. I like this as a goal, though, of having all these different topics ready to go. And I think think we just need to get everybody who's listening to this episode just invite you to give a talk. You know, you'll just have to give a dozen different talks every week, which would be great. It should be great. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the talks that I've been giving over the past few years has been about tech culture because 
there's a need for that talk. I used to also talk about art and code, and now art and code is a lot more um, popular and, and accepted by the mainstream tech world than it used to be five years ago. And um, I like talking about tech culture. I feel like I've been in it for not all that long, huh. but maybe I'm just a little bit more self-aware than some of my peers are. And people appreciate it. It's just, it's very draining. Like when I go on stage and I talk about how we're fucking things up, like, and then people are like, oh my God, you're so right. I'm like, I kind of wish that I can just like build a hexagon grid and just give a technical talk on that instead of like letting all the guys get to do the f- cool, fun, technical stuff. Yeah. Um, and so not that I'm going to stop talking about tech culture because I can't and I feel like it's part of my ethics. That's my way of contributing to society and human uh, well-being. I also do want to keep in mind that uh, computing technology is an ever-evolving um, subject. And if I want to stay in there, I not have to only follow the culture, but I also have to follow the technology and keep up to date. So it's very intense and it's very challenging, but... Uh, I'm still uh, young enough where I think I am uh, ready for that task yeah, still. It sounds great. And it's super ambitious. And I have all the faith you'll help us evolve. It may take a while, but uh, I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah. Well, Jen, this has been really interesting. Um, I look forward to, to keeping up the conversation. And uh, hopefully 2018, we'll, uh, we'll see some more growth in all these different areas. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me and, and asking me these kind of questions. Yeah, and I hope everyone will check out Jen's work, check out what she's doing at Glitch, uh, and have these conversations, hopefully respectfully and nicely with one another in person too, which is great. There's lots of meetups, of course, all over the world. So you should you should be sure to check those out. And for the podcast itself, should you have comments or questions or things that you'd like to talk about, please do get in touch. So until next time, this has been the Policy of His Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.